Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing our series called Holy Grit. And we're talking about that, that spiritual endurance, that, that heavenly hope that we have that allows us to endure difficult times, difficult seasons, maybe even difficult people. And today I want us to look at the latter, and I want us to talk about when it gets personal. I'm sure that every one of us in this room at some point in time has been the recipient of a personal attack especially whenever we are trying to follow the will of God. And specifically, that's what we're talking about today. When we're following the will of God and when we experience that opposition, and I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 6 and look at some lessons in there. Now, you may have said or heard people say things like this before. I'm going to make some positive changes And when I make some positive changes, like I'm going to study the Bible more diligently, just like we're talking about doing tonight, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to be more in line with the Word of God and the will of God, I'm going to seek Him more, things will get easier. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say things like this, if I am in the center of God's will, then I'm not going to experience as much pain, as much difficulty, as much opposition. Can I just tell you? Yes, you will. In fact, you'll probably experience more. You will experience more pain when you're seeking the will of God. You will experience more opposition when you are following his word. You will experience more difficulty whenever you are making positive changes to pursue God at a deeper level. You will experience that. So whenever we start trying to follow the will of God, we will experience opposition that we've never experienced before. Let me go ahead and give you a warning. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. Just because there is an absence of opposition does not mean that you are in the center of God's will. Sometimes people think, well, I'm not experiencing any opposition, so I must be doing something that's pleasing to God. Well, no, not necessarily. Sometimes that lack of opposition does not mean you're in the center of his will. This is why discernment must take place. This is why we need to know God's word and trust God's word. So let's talk about this. What's the major thrust of the book of Nehemiah? Well, the major idea in the book of Nehemiah is remaining faithful to God no matter the opposition because God is faithful to his people, to his purpose, to his promises. That's the ultimate theme that we find in the book of Nehemiah. Now, we're not reading the book of Nehemiah, so making it all about us. We're looking at this one incident in the book of Nehemiah to give some examples and give some ways that we can respond as Nehemiah responded in the midst of fulfilling God's call, fulfilling God's will that God had communicated to Nehemiah and placed on his heart. And so it is all about God's faithfulness to his people and therefore us being faithful to him. And we say, well, okay, well, well, if it's not all about us, then why are we talking about being personal? Because the bottom line is this. Whenever you're in the center of doing God's will, 
you're pursuing God's will, you will have attacks that are directed at you personally. But we have to understand this. Just as Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. We, we, we wrestle against those evil forces that are beyond just flesh and blood. By the same token, whenever we experience that attack, if we're in the center of God's will, it's not ultimately about us and that other person. Ultimately, it is about the forces of evil that want to work against God's perfect will. It's a personal attack, all right, but ultimately it's a personal attack against God. We are his instruments. By the way, everybody will be an instrument for some power. Either you will be an instrument used by God to accomplish his will, or you will be used as an instrument to work against the will of God. So everybody is going to be used as an instrument, even if the attack feels extraordinarily personal. People aren't the problem. People are instruments of the powers behind the problem. So with that in mind, let's talk about Nehemiah. Let me give you a little setup here. The Jewish people were taken many years before Nehemiah. They were taken and they were taken into captivity. And we find that King Cyrus comes along and King Cyrus says, I'm going to let you go back to your homeland. You can go back to Jerusalem. You can go back to Judah. You can go back and reoccupy the area. Now, some of the Jews chose to remain. There in Persia, in Babylonia, they chose to remain in that area. And so then you have this guy, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes I. And I know some of you, you're about to have children probably, and you're thinking for a name for a boy. Might I suggest Artaxerxes? Good, strong name. So King Artaxerxes I is the ruler of Persia, and Nehemiah is his cupbearer. Now, that doesn't mean that just Nehemiah brought his cup. The cupbearer had a very specific job. The cupbearer had to taste the food, taste the wine before the king would eat or drink to ensure that it wasn't poisoned. Imagine that job. That was his job. And day in and day out, that's what he did. And so he was very trusted. And Nehemiah gets word that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. They had not been, actually, they had been torn down some 100 years before. They had not been repaired in over 100 years. And so Nehemiah finds out, a message comes to him from the captives who have returned to Jerusalem, that the city is in disarray, the walls are all torn down, there is no security, there is no safety, and so the word gets back to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah mourns. Nehemiah's upset. Nehemiah's concerned. And Nehemiah goes before the king, and the king looks at Nehemiah and says, what's wrong with you? You don't look very happy. You're not your usually cheery self. What's wrong? And Nehemiah tells him. And the king says, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah says, I want to go rebuild the wall. And the king says, you got it. We'll write you some letters as you request. And you will have, you will have conveyance. And you can go back to Jerusalem. And you can rebuild those walls. I'm going to give you a little work visa. You go. You go and rebuild. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. But as soon as Nehemiah shows up and starts surveying the area and starts to do the work, the opposition begins. 
Now, it's important for us to understand, Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall around 440 B.C., 444 or so, 444 years before Christ, 444. That's when he's rebuilding the walls, around that time. At the time, Jerusalem, its footprint, historians tell us, was about the same area as a major shopping mall in a major city and its surrounding parking lot. That's about how big it was. It wasn't a big place. But Nehemiah wants to go rebuild the city wall. And that's what he does. He's fulfilling the call of God and he's rebuilding the city wall and he starts experiencing opposition. So today I want us to look at, in in Nehemiah chapter 6, I want us to look at as he is rebuilding the wall, what are some of the types of the opposition he experiences and then how does he respond as he is fulfilling and pursuing God's call. The first thing is this, we need to continue to pursue God's call when distractions come. Check out chapter 6 verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard I had built the wall. Now by this point in time, the wall has been rebuilt in its entirety, but the gate had not been hung. And we find that. And that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gate. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at Hecapharim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. We are to continue to pursue God's call when distractions come. Now, this is not the first time he's had an encounter with these guys, with Sanballat and Tobiah. This is not the first time. We find back in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, We find them first introduced, but when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Amorite Amorite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we as servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So the very first moment they start to even think about building, they experience opposition. And, and you can read on, we don't have time to read it, but you can read on in chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We find that these two guys conspire together to try to attack the workers, try to attack Nehemiah and physically kill him. And they are after him to try to distract him from the work of God. Notice chap, back in chapter 6, verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come let us meet together at Hecathirim on the in the plain of Ono. That's about 30 miles north of Judah. Come up to this city. It wasn't controlled by the Jewish authorities. We need to talk, Nehemiah. Why don't you put down your trowel? Why don't you put down your hammer? Why don't you put down that sword you've been carrying around the wall because you've been protecting everybody? Why don't you put down all that stuff and come up here, take a couple of days journey, take a little bit of time off, come up here, visit with us, hang out with us. We'll just have a talk. We'll have a talk. There's a distraction. And notice what Nehemiah says. I am doing, verse 3, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent him this message four times. And four times Nehemiah said, not going. I'm not going to get distracted from the work of God. 
you do realize that Satan does not have to destroy you if he can distract you? Because if he can distract you, can I just tell you, same result. The work of God won't get done. And all Satan has to do is get you off by two or three degrees. Knowing that eventually you're, I mean, he's very patient. He can get you off by two or three degrees and you may be doing something good, quote unquote, but it may not be in the center of God's will and Satan knows it's eventually going to lead you astray. Let him get two or three degrees off. Let him get just distracted enough. Let him get so busy serving God that he doesn't spend any time with God. Let her get so busy with all sorts of other good stuff that she does not align her heart and soul with the Lord God of the universe. He doesn't have to destroy you when he can distract you. And can I give you another truth? This is so disturbing. When you start getting distracted and start sacrificing God's best for something that looks really good, Satan may sometimes lighten your load so that you think it's easy sailing. You start taking this distracted route and Satan may say, all right, everybody, let them go. Let them go. Let them think because they have no opposition and they have fewer problems. And, and, and let's open some doors for them. Let's open them some doors because if we'll open doors, they're not being discerning. Let them, let's just open some doors and let them get so preoccupied with stuff that looks good but doesn't make a difference in eternity. I've heard pastoral friends of mine say it. Well, you know, there was an open door, so we had to take it. You don't walk into every open door. When I was a child, I remember visiting the hospital, and there was an open door. It was a, it was a malfunctioning elevator, and it was an open elevator shaft. It was an open door. I didn't walk in it. Sometimes Satan will open some doors, and if you aren't discerning, you'll walk right in thinking, well, God must have opened that door. And so sometimes, and I found this true over and over again, not only in my life, but in other people's lives, the enemy will water your garden. He'll help water your garden knowing that eventually it's going to blot out the light of the sun. He will. And so we have to guard ourselves against distractions. Well, pastor, do you ever face distractions? Are you kidding me? Hey, uh, Pastor Dustin, I just, you know, thank you for all that you do, but I just, I just really think you need to preach on this. Okay. And then somebody else, well, I think you need to preach on that. Okay. Well, I think you need to preach on this and this and this. And not only that, you need to preach this way and that way. Uh Uh-huh. Or you get a call like at 10 o'clock at night and somebody will call you. You know, were you asleep? Oh, no, I was just waiting up. Somebody to call. Well, I was praying and the Lord just won't let it go. And I've been thinking about it for three weeks. And I just felt like I needed to call you right now when you weren't distracted. To be a distraction. Thank you. I appreciate that. Why couldn't it wait till the morning? Couldn't wait till the morning. The Lord told me. We'll get to that in a second. So you face distractions. You face those distractions, but you have to have a sanctified focus. Listen to Proverbs 4.25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devourer we have to say just like nehemiah i'm doing a great work and i cannot come down it's been my experience that the people who are who are being the biggest distractions are the people who aren't on the wall helping build 
The Sanballats and the Tobias, they're not on the wall helping you to build. They are not wanting the wall built. They are telling you to build another wall or not to do this or to do that. Or to, and you've got them in your life. So continue to pursue God's call when distractions come. Continue to pursue God's call when discouragement appears. So four times they send messengers to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you need to come meet us up here. Distraction doesn't work. So what does Nehemiah do? He keeps working. So what does Sanballat and Tobiah do? They will launch a different plan of attack. We are just going to discourage him. Look at verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, quote, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim you concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king, that is Artaxerxes I, the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So if you're not going to talk to us, listen, we, got, we, got, we, we, heard, we heard someone talking. Someone was talking. Someone's whispering in the alleys of Jerusalem, Nehemiah, and this is what they're saying. And not only just there in Jerusalem, but all the nations are talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. And Geshem, Geshem heard it. Oh, yeah, he heard it. And everybody's saying it. Everybody's saying the same thing. Notice verse 12. Or I'm sorry, notice uh, verse 8. Then I said to him, saying, I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. You are a liar. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. He turns back to God and he prays. Over and over, you find that's what Nehemiah does. He prays. He goes back and he prays. He goes back and he asks God for strength. He goes back and he asks God for discernment. He goes back and he asks God to fulfill God's purpose and God's call. But here, when discouragement appears, Nehemiah is able to say, that's not true. That is an outright lie. And notice he says this report among the nations. How many times have you heard that? Somebody will come to you and say, well, you know, everybody's talking about this. Do you know what my response is when people tell me that? Who? Well, I'd rather not say. You'd rather not say because you don't know. (laughs) Or you'd rather not say because they're not there. It's been my experience that when everybody says, it's usually only about two or three loud people. They're not many, they're just loud. There's a difference. And so he gets this letter. Everybody's saying it. All the nations are talking about it. And Geshem too. Who cares what Geshem thinks? But I mean, but, but, but Geshem can affirm everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. And they're fabricating a lie to try to discourage Nehemiah. You start doing the will of God long enough, somebody is going to fabricate something and launch it against you. Some of you in this room have told me stories of your own life where you have been fulfilling the will of God on your life and somebody just outright, bald-faced lied. I remember when I was at my last church, I was uh, serving in multiple positions, many of you know, but uh, one of those positions was I was over our singles ministry and I was over uh, the singles classes. And there was this guy that showed up into one of our singles, our single adult classes. He showed up, he signed his guest form as being single, 
And he got really, he started getting involved. He started coming every Sunday. He started coming to all the events. He started getting sweet on this uh, one girl who was there in the ministry. And one afternoon, I'm sitting in my office and I get a phone call. And it's the man's wife. She says, I'm so-and-so's wife. I say, you what? She said, I'm so-and-so's wife. I understand he's been going to one of your classes. I say, yeah, he's been going to this other class. I don't teach the class, but he's been going to this other class. She said, well, he's still married. I said, really? She said, yeah, oh, yeah. She said, I've been very sick, and I can't come to church. But I found out through the grapevine that he's been going to this class. So I did a little research and found out, sure enough, he's been married. So I had a little meeting after church one day. Took two of the leaders with me, two of the leaders of that class. And I, we, we asked God to hang back, and I said, hey, man. Let me tell you something. Um, we found out you're married. Who told you that? I said, well, your wife. <laughs> what business does she have calling you? Well, she's your wife. I'd say she has a vested interest. He said, so what do you, what, why are you meeting with me? I said, well, man, you don't need to come back to singles ministry. You can't tell me that. Yeah, I, I can. Then he bows up looks at the two other leaders of that particular class, the, the teacher and the director. He says, oh, I see you brought some people with you. I said, yeah, they're to verify this discussion. He said, no, I think they're here for, for physical protection. I said, maybe, maybe so, for one of us. Because <laughs> when I heard you had a wife, be glad they're here. So what does he do? He leaves and he starts contacting all the other members of the staff who I report to and saying, oh, he, 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 he said all sorts of terrible things to me. He chewed me out and he said all sorts of mean things to me, hurt my feelings. I never said I was single. So we produce his guest registration that says single. And these guys back up what was said. And this guy ended up leaving right? Listen, you do the will of God alone enough, somebody's going to make up some stuff. And that's that they're going to try to discourage you from doing the will of God. And it doesn't have to be an outright lie. It can be all sorts of little discouragements that come your way. Yeah, I'll share. Um, I had one, I got to laugh. I had one here one time. After, I know it surprised you, uh, after, service, after service one day, this was like right after I became a uh, lead pastor, I had, I had somebody walk up to me and say, man, you know when you were preaching, yes, like just then, yeah, uh, yeah, you mentioned a particular concept or topic, I won't get into it, but you mentioned a topic that, that my family really is into. I said, okay, that's great. Well, uh, could, you, could you explain, uh, and, and, and suddenly we, we just really perked up. Could you explain what led up to you talking about that topic? I said, well, that was my last point. Yeah, yeah, but, but you, know how we, you know how people zone out. We didn't listen to anything up until you said that word. Right here. And when you said that word, we really zoned in. And I said, did, he said that word. Yes, yes, he did. Oh. We need to, what did he say before? Well, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I wasn't either. You know, I kind of zoned out. 
So could you explain it to us? I said, explain what to you? Could you go back and explain what all the rest of the sermon up to that point? That's just what I did. Yeah, I know, but we zoned out. Didn't you hear me? Well, why don't, why don't you go home and get on Facebook and rewatch it? We don't have time for that. You're here right now. Why don't you share? No! Why don't you wake up and pay attention? It's an easy fix, right? There are multiple avenues. So I left that day and I was like, my goodness. Holy cow. Anyway, so... But you, you can get so paralyzed by discouragement if you aren't careful. Some of you, some of you are so concerned, you're so worried about what people are going to say. Or what you think people are going to say. Or what you think people are going to think. And you don't want to do the will of God because you're afraid of those things. Can I just tell you, people are going to say People are going to think, but it is not ultimately what people say or what people thinks that, that makes the difference. And you are not going to stand before people on that final day and give an account for how you lived your life for Christ. You will stand before God alone. And so we need to bear that in mind right now. And just because people say, and just because people think, don't mean that people are always right. Sometimes they, they can give good counsel. Sometimes they can give wise advice. Sometimes they can fill you in on some information that you do not know and you need to listen. Absolutely. But you don't listen to every single voice that comes your way. God's truth must govern your mind, not the opinion of other people. Not the, the discouragement that comes from other people. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, Isaiah writes, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah does not say, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on popular opinion. No, that changes from day to day, from hour to hour sometimes. So we trust in God when discouragement appears. Also, we continue to pursue God's call when shortcuts are offered. Look at verse 10. And so Nehemiah has dealt with these, these distractions and discouragements. And now you find in verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, the son of Mehitabel, who was confined to his house, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Oh, Nehemiah, tell you what, let's go hide out in the temple. Not just in, not just in the house of God. Let's go, into, let's go into like the most sacred place. That way, nobody's going to touch you. Verse 11, but I said, should such a man as I run away? I mean, why, why, would I, why am I going to run away? But then he goes on. And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? That, that line shows us that what he's talking about is not just going into the temple, into the worship area, but to go into the area that only the priests are supposed to go into. Basically, he's saying, come on, hide out in the temple. It's okay. Just come on in here and hide out. Compromise. Here's a shortcut for safety. Verse 12, and I understood. Some translations say, and I discerned. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. 
But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then Nehemiah shifts into another prayer. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God. According to these things that they did. Also to the prophets Noadia and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Everybody who joined with them. They're offering this sinful shortcut. Hide in the temple. Go into the most holy place. Hide out. No one's going to touch you there. Yeah, except for God. And then on top of that, you go into the most holy place. You go in there and hide out. And then everybody gets to say, do you see what he did? He defiled the temple. He's acting like a priest. Went walking in there big as Ike, thinking that he owned the place, trying to hide out from everybody. I know it's a dated reference, children. Look it up. But this is the idea. That's what he's saying. And this shortcut is offered. There is a legitimate need, yes, the safety of Nehemiah, but that's what Satan always does. Satan always offers a sinful shortcut to meet a legitimate need by an illegitimate means. And this is an illegitimate means that Satan is offering through these false leaders. These are supposed to be the religious leaders and they're going, it's okay, a little compromise doesn't hurt. A little shortcut, Nehemiah, for your safety's sake. But Nehemiah discerns that it's not from God. God would not say to someone to disobey his explicit will and word as he has laid out. It's not going to happen. And so Nehemiah recognizes this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Everybody gets tempted. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He provides a way of escape. It may not be a wide way of escape. It may be just enough room to wiggle out of there. But God always provides a way to escape sin. Always. It may be slight. It may be little. But there's always a way to walk away and to get away from sin. Always. And we also need to be careful when people come to you and people tell you. And you've probably had this happen. Let me give you, how's this? See if this is familiar to you. You've been praying about a situation. You've been wrestling with a situation. You've been thinking about a situation. You've been contemplating and praying and seeking counsel. And somebody shows up and says, listen, the Lord told me. I got a word from the Lord. The Lord says you need to do X, Y, Z. And you think, that doesn't sound like God. That sounds totally oppositional to what even God. No, no, no. The Lord told me this is, this is truth. You need to do this. The Lord said, no. Can God do that? Absolutely. But, but we have to be really, really careful. Say, well, I mean, this person said the Lord said that, so I guess I'll just go do that. No. No, you need to be discerning. You need to be careful. You need to go before God and make sure that it's God who is speaking. Some of you know the story. A number of years ago, um, I had a, a woman come to me at the previous church where I served. And a wonderful woman, prayer warrior. I mean, we're talking. If you needed something prayed about, she was the one. And she walked up to me and she said, Listen, I know that you would like to be married. 
I just want to let you know this morning in my quiet time, the Lord gave me a name. I said, oh, right? Oh, yeah, the Lord gave me a name. Very clearly, he gave me a name. I said, okay, first of all, I said, um, you do know that there is this uh, hidden committee to try to find me a wife. She said, I know, I know that. She said, and I'm a part of this committee. I said, okay. Self-appointed. They're all self-appointed. Nobody got a vote uh, to vote on. Them. Anyway, she said, um, I, I'm part of that committee. And I said, well, you, you do know, like a couple of years ago, when all of you started talking about you're forming a committee, that I told you what the only rule of the committee was? She said, what's that? I said, you make one bad suggestion, you're off the committee. She's like, well, that's harsh. I was like, well, I mean, prophets got stoned. So, I mean, I figured you're getting off easy. And she said, but no, this is not a suggestion. I have heard from the Lord. I said, all right, give me the name. So she gave me the name. She said, what do you think? I said, that's the name. She said, yeah. I said, first and last name. She said, yeah. I said, did God also mention that she's married? She said, what do you mean married? Well, how many ways can you take that? I said, I mean, her daddy gave her that last name. She did not get that last name. Or or, or, I'm sorry, I said, her daddy did not give her her last name. She got that last name by taking another man's name when they exchanged vows. She said, oh, that married. Yes, that married. She said, well, I think that was the last name. I said, no, no, you're off the committee. Um, Too bad. Listen, you need to be careful. You have to be careful when people come to you and say, I'm offering you this that the Lord has said. Listen to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So when that shortcut appears, be careful, be discerning, be wise. Go to God's word. So pursue God's call when the distractions come, when discouragement appears. When shortcuts are, shortcuts are offered and when pressure creates fear. So you find in chapter 6, verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elad, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. So their own strength that they were depending upon just melted away. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, to Tobiah, for he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. What's going on here? They get done with the wall. And the nobles of Judah, the wealthy people of Judah, the movers and shakers of Judah, they write letters to Tobiah. And because they know that Tobiah and Nehemiah are at odds. So they write letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah sends those letters to Nehemiah. Look at what all the nobles of Judah are saying about me. They're vouching for me. I'm not a bad guy. They're saying what a great person I am. But notice it says in verse 18, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him. 
They had financial dealings. They had business arrangements. They had political connections. Most likely due to these marriages that are talked about afterwards. They would make a marriage. They would, they would marry off sons and daughters and individuals in order to secure the pact, the political or financial pact that they had made with each other. And so Nehemiah is getting letters that says, hey, Tobiah is connected. He's, he's connected. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with Tobiah. So they're creating this pressure, hoping to create fear. That's what it says in verse 19. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. These nobles are connected. You better watch out, Nehemiah. You better watch out because we've got connections. And if you start messing with Tobiah, you start messing with our business. You start hurting our bottom line. We got to be careful. We can't just willy-nilly pray against Tobiah, Nehemiah. Listen, last place I served, I had had an application appear on my desk one day for a young man. He was entering into uh, a college and there was one section where it talked about his spiritual and religious life. And I looked at it, and it talked about how often was he involved in the last year. Well, he hadn't been there in the last year at all. Hadn't shown up at all, at all. And so I I took the letter back to my supervisor. I said, I can't fill this out. I said, he hadn't been here. What do you mean? Well, he has not been present I can't talk about his spiritual life in the last year when I don't know anything about what he did. And it talks about his church involvement here at his church. And it's not here. It's not here. So I said, I just can't do it. Well, and the parents contacted me. Why don't you fill that application out? Because your son hadn't been here. By the way, where have you been? Well, you don't understand, Dustin. We're tithers. Oh, okay. No, I don't understand. What does that have anything to do with whether or not your son showed up? Well, but don't you understand? That's why you need to fill out the application, because we're tithers. Because you're buying your son's application? You're buying my integrity? I don't think so. Your son hadn't been here. I'm not filling out the form. You know what they did? They found another staff member that was not connected to fill out the form. I found out later, and I went and I talked to the guy. I said, man, what's going on? He said, well, they're tithers. That makes it okay? Kid hadn't been here. Oh, well, I just put some stuff down. Really? Yeah. So that's all it took. I mean, hey, man, I'm just just trying to keep down trouble. Can I tell you something? I love the guy. He's not in ministry today. He's not in ministry today. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. And Nehemiah, they're trying to put pressure on him so it will create fear. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Nehemiah trusts God. That's the ultimate ultimate source of his strength. Nehemiah trusts God. He trusts the call of God. He trusts the purpose of God. He trusts the ways of God. He trusts the strength of God. He trusts the power of God. He trusts the wisdom of God. He trusts the goodness of God. He trusts God. And by the way, his previous life, his his other occupation didn't hurt. If you're risking your life every mealtime, 
If you're the cupbearer to the king and you are eating food and drink to make sure it's safe for the king, of putting your life on the line every time the king has one of his three meals, even more if he likes snacks, if he is putting his life on the line every time the king eats, do you really think that some guy in the Judah country club who sits in the corner office is really going to pose that big of a threat to him? Are you kidding me? Why they're threatening my life? I risk my life three times a day. Big deal, says Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, notice this is the one incident where Nehemiah doesn't respond. He doesn't. Why? Because they're not trying to tear down the work of God. They may be trying to make him afraid, but Nehemiah's like, they're not, they're not stopping anything. Nehemiah is basically saying this, it'll all come out in the wash. He's already prayed about Tobiah early on. I've already prayed about it. Let God take care of it. Let God deal with Tobiah. Judah's, the Judah, Judah's nobles can say whatever they want. God's going to take care of that. The wall is built. The gate is hung. Everybody is spooked. And the Lord God is seen to be the one who allowed us to do this and empowered us to do this. Work has been accomplished. I ain't got time to go try to run down Tobiah. God knows his address. And God will deal with him in his time. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. When pressure wants to create that fear in your life, you recognize you're not serving humans ultimately, you're serving God. Your, your ultimate goal is not to please everybody else. That's impossible anyway. Your ultimate goal is to please God and follow him. You look at the book of Nehemiah. There was a 100-year span where Judah had a problem, that Jerusalem's walls were down. A 100-year problem. You look back at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, and you know what you find? Nehemiah prayed for two months. It's a 100-year problem. He prays for two months, and in 52 days, they accomplished the work of God. A 100-year problem. Two months of praying, 52 days of work, work of God accomplished. Some of you are maybe somewhere in that span, kind of in your own life. You got, maybe you have problems been going on for a long, long time. You've been facing, facing opposition for a long, 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 long time. Do you know what? You may, be spending, you may need to spend more time praying than you do working to deal with that issue. Because praying for two months, you know what it says? God, this is yours. Nehemiah only worked 52 days. Now, granted, it was a long time. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of work they put in, but 52 days of work. But he didn't prayed for, he's prayed for two months. Maybe you need to enter into that time of praying. Maybe you need to enter into that time of working. Maybe somebody's, maybe somebody or situation or circumstances have gotten to the point that you're so distracted and you're so discouraged and you feel so much pressure and you just feel like you just want to give up and you've been trying all sorts of other means to do it other than God's way and God is saying, just, just get to work. Just get to work and watch me empower that work that you know you're supposed to be doing. Some of you are right there. Some of you have been trying to do it on your own and by yourself and by your own strength for so long that you, you have never relinquished total control to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord God, I need you. 
Lord, I can't, I can't achieve righteousness on my own. I have to depend upon you. Lord, please save me. You just need to cry out to, to Christ and put your total dependence upon him, what he has already accomplished on the cross when he died in our place on behalf of us because of our sin. And he met that righteous requirement, that righteous requirement of God by his own death, his burial, his resurrection. So maybe you need to come to Christ. Maybe there's just something you've been wrestling with and today needs to be the day that you say, okay, God, I'm going to follow your will. I'm going to follow your call. I'm going to follow your plan. Not just your plan, but the way to accomplish your plan. I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to trust in you alone. I may face opposition. I will face opposition. I will face difficulty. I may face pain, but Lord God, it will be worth it because it's your call and it's your purpose and it's for your glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We thank you for the life of Nehemiah. We thank you for this incident in his life that gives us so much wisdom. As we look and we recognize that you are God, that you have a plan and you have a purpose for your people and that you will fulfill your covenant, your promise. You will fulfill your word. And because you will ultimately fulfill your word, we can trust in you completely. We can have faith in you because you are forever faithful. And so, God, I pray whatever decision needs to be made here this morning, if it's a decision for salvation, for someone to say yes to you, yes to Christ, yes, I'm surrendering to his leadership in my life, if it's someone that's just been wrestling maybe for a long time with the same opposition, with the same problem, with the same difficulty, with the same pain, with the same suffering, because they are seeking your will. Father, I pray that you would give them encouragement to continue. No matter what discouragements, no matter what distractions may come, no matter what pressures may build or shortcuts are offered, may they say, I will follow you, God. We ask that you might empower us and strengthen us, not only today, but in the days to come. No matter what culture looks like, our nation looks like, the world looks like, Father, we pray that you might give us the boldness that we need in order to live for you, to make Christ known to a world that is in desperate need of redemption through him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.